Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you today? Hi, Russ. I'm doing great. How about you? Doing fine. Your plant looks good. No new artwork to bug you about. Nothing's going on. Oh, there you go. have a rock with a... It was a, a gift from my seven-year-old. He <laughs> drew a smiley face on a rock, and now he says I have a pet rock. So there you go. Yeah, that was a big craze for a while, wasn't it? The whole pet rock thing. <laughs> must be coming back. <laughs> yeah. It must be. That's right. And that other voice you hear back there is uh, Kathleen Nichols, who is joining us. Where are you at physically, Kathleen? I'm um, in California in the okay. San Francisco Bay Area, um, actually kind of on the coast. Uh, oh, well, that's nice. That's good. Yeah. In the boonies. Yeah, yeah well, that's no, that's that's actually great. I mean, I moved from Raleigh to Knoxville and partially to get back into the boonies a little bit. I always feel a bit like I'm a country boy. I was raised in the country. I mean, really country. And when I get too close to cities, I start getting like, if I still have to live in a city, I start getting allergic reactions. Like it's like, <laughs> it's really bad. I feel like we're a little pocket universe of the Bay Area here. Yes, that's good. Are you near a Carmel? Is that where you are? Is that the Pardon me? Carmel? Oh, is no. that what it, no? Okay. No, we're farther. No, I'm only, um, I don't know, 20 minutes from SFO. It's just oh, that okay. I have to go, you know, through a tunnel and over the hill. And, oh, okay. That's um, cool. Yeah. But, you know, this is a lot of farmland, coast, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. That's really great. All right. So today we are talking about defined trust transport protocol, right? Is that right? Yes. Awesome. I mean, it's, yeah. So, so let's begin with the problem because that's always the best place to start with people is the problem. What is the problem you're trying to solve? Like what is going on that, you know, you saw a need in a network. What, what is the need? Well, there are a lot of kind of very specific applications. I, I'm not trying to, you know, this isn't something that's going to take over TCP. This is instead trying to say, we are trying to use TCP in places that it's just not fitting. And um, a lot of that is in the area of what is often called OT, operational technologies. It includes, you know, IoT and industrial control systems distributed energy systems. And in, in that area, in that space, it's not really a great fit because we need security. We don't really need everyone to be able to talk to everyone else. In fact, we don't want that, right? And so we need both to know the authenticity, you know, who sent something and is it somebody that I that can send it? And we may need privacy, and we really don't need to be sending our packets out over the open internet necessarily, unless maybe we're tunneling them or something. So okay. that's probably the basic thing, and that's really what this well, what our internet yeah. draft is pointing. Give at. us a give us an, an example use case. You say OT, so I'm immediately going to think of you know like IoT stuff, but. I'm assuming it's really more along the lines of manufacturing or something in that realm is what you're describing. Well, 
originally, what kind of got me into this was looking at the home IoT problem. But um, I've kind of put that over to the side because I've been working with a startup company that is in the energy area. And they do a lot of things where they've sort of started with the idea of collecting solar information and then, you know, kind of bringing it all back. So like rooftop solar and collecting that information. But they're finding that they can communicate information in the energy area in general between power plants or between power plants and, you know, switching uh, stations, substations, things like that. Yeah, But and also at the same time, the consumer um, stuff, you know, in the home or what's on the home, you know, the energy production that, you know, those of us with solar panels or windmills are doing. So this is sort of the particular thing that somewhat drives me because they're a client. So even though I've kind of got visions of where I'm going with this, if they say, gee, we'd really like it to do this, you know, I'll sort of say, okay, I can do that next. You know, So my priorities are being somewhat set. I think there are some other applications, but after we talk about this, maybe I can um, yeah. you know, t- tell you what I think those might be towards the end. But but that's that's been my focus. So the idea is that in those applications and in a lot of them, you know, we need to step back and say, we have these this broadcast media out there, right? Like everything is radio, but all of the protocols that we use are not, right? They're point to point or connection oriented. It's, you know, A sends something to B. Here's the source, here's the destination. And that influences everything we do when we're doing security you know a sense to be we want to secure it you know they exchange information they secure that channel and then they send information down it and they can send anything they want across there once they've established that connection so we don't have a way of saying like wait a minute, are you really allowed to send that, you know, or what is it that you're saying, you know, inside of that tunnel? And then we also um, get stuck in the place where, especially when you're thinking about, say, home IoT or a manufacturing floor or something like that, where you might want to say, I just want to say something and I want, you know, everyone to hear it for, I mean, we do simplistic examples like saying, you know, turn on, you know, all the lights in my living room. And so I'd like to just say, broadcast that command once. And then maybe I'd like the different lights to be able to say I'm on or, you know, any, you know, anything that they might say, that then you can gather up those responses. So, you know, what we really want is to enable a model that's like PubSub, which is, you know, become very popular in the, um, in the OT area because, it's it is it kind of presents this API that's what people are expecting. You know, I publish this thing out, I subscribe to this, you know, topic and get things. So we're sort of addressing the things we want to talk about with these URI like names, and you know, we're putting them out and we're getting them back. But you know, under the covers of that nice simple. API, what we have is ugly indeed, right? It's, you know, everybody is making a TCP connection to a server broker, which is then sending everything back out again. 
So what if we could actually use that broadcast channel? So that's one piece of what we're doing here, which is, is really different. And if you do that, what does that mean for a transport? And I certainly won't say I have all the answers. One of the real advantages of just picking sort of a small problem is we get to start working on these things and working it out without saying, I've got to solve this for every possible case in the universe, right? Okay. So fortunately, you know, IPv6 has some, you know, really nice stuff. It has this uh, link local multicast and, you know, you can assign your own address and we can kind of come up and start doing things. And, you know, we sort of think about that. Oh, you know, we don't have DNS and we don't have all these things that could give us some security exposure. But then what should we do, right? I mean, if we, what do we do instead? Well, what we want is to have that idea of, you know, joining a collection. So, you know, one thing that becomes really important is the membership in that um, it's a limited domain. There's a very nice um, RFC 8799 that sort of defines what limited domains are, but uh, it's kind of an intuitive thing, or I can, you know, I have it sort of up oh, here. Oh, it's just anything, like the, anything that doesn't go on the global internet effectively, anything that's... Or it could go on global internet, but be like tunneled. Tunnel. Yeah, or something. Or right, something. Right, right, yeah. right, right, So, so is, is the, the, so the IPv6 uh, sort of inspiration for this, it sounds like you're talking about solicited nodes multicast group that all nodes have to join when they come up, right? It's built yes, into IPv6. Right, right. Is it yeah. so? Is it is it using that literal group, or is it something that's akin to that? It's akin to that, right? Because you're sort of making your own group, um, and so this special limited domain that we're making, um, we call it a trust domain, and for reasons that might become more obvious as we talk about this, because you've got to follow the rules and you've got to have a membership in order to get in. So. That So these are sort of the important things is that in order to be a member of this group, you know, you could be on a um, you could be on a local link with others, but they can't be members of this group unless they have that membership credential and they need to know what the rules are. Obviously, I mean, it's but and, and they, these things kind of come together. So what you what you really want to think of once you get there is you're saying, okay, well, the way we do this on, on the wire, so to speak, or on the media is that there's a, a hash type identifier for that um, trust domain. And it actually comes from, from part of the rules. And that's sort of stuck in the front of your PDU that you're putting out there. And then, um, then there's a additional name that's exposed that simply has to do with sort of administratively that doesn't get exposed to the to the application that says is this of a the sort of application publication or is this a certificate or is this a key and so is this, so is this identifier like what you might call a nonce is it something that is um pulled together by a via a cryptographic hash like using the hash is in, right, right. It's yeah. like a hash in the front, but it's okay. not a nonce because it it um, it comes from the um, 
So what we do is we take the rules and the rules are expressed in a particular way and they're compiled into binary and they're stuck in a certificate. Oh, okay. All right. So everybody has the same shared certificate with the same rules. Exactly. They will get it. And you sign that by your trust anchor for your, for your trust domain. Okay. Okay. So now if you hash that thing, that is a unique identifier for that trust domain. So that unique identifier gets stuck in the front of the PDU. And then the next field is, is kind of like right now we do it as a readable field, but you know, we could do things if one needed to keep that secret. So you know whether is this part of the collection of things that are certificates? And I'll explain where those get to. Or and by and by certificates, I mean things that are um you know, what they're carrying is public keys. And then we have the publications, the things that you want to talk about, you know, the the communications or utterances. And then we also have keys, which are, you know, the, if we want to have symmetric keys, right, for symmetric key distribution, and you want to, to distribute it. So that's all you really see but inside of those packets, you're carrying certificates or publications or keys. But if you encrypt it, you know, you, you don't really get a lot of data. But so, you know, how do we do that, right? I mean, how do you encrypt for a group? So the first thing we got to get back to the idea of the membership and your membership is an identity, which is, you know, in the the form of a uh, public-private key pair where the public key goes into a certificate and that is signed by some signing chain and at the, you know, the root is the trust anchor. And the other things in that signing chain are things that say something about your attributes. So it could be, if we think about something that's industrial, it could be you know, the manufacturer, the type of machine, you know, and where it's located, maybe. So all of these things can can be in your signing chain. And the the issue there is, you know, what's the right way to organize that? But once you decide that, that's part of your rules. It's that communication schema. So now what you need to get started to become a member is you need that identity. You need the rules and you need the trust anchor. I mean, it is part of your identity, but you kind of want to have it separately. And then you need to think, well, I really want to be sure that I got the right trust anchor because once I have that, I can figure everything else out. I, you know, I get the rules and I say, yeah, these rules were signed by the trust anchor. So I can like unpack them and they go right into a trust management engine, which is part of our transport. And then I want to see my identity. And now, so I've got my identity and I say, well, okay, I want to join this trust domain. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to present your credentials. So what you do is you publish your your identity, you, you publish that chain out into the pubs for the trust domain. So anyone else can now get those. They pick them up. They look at your chain and they say, does this follow the rules? You know, did this sign this? And 
they go all the way to the trust route and say, oh, yes, you're following the rules and you're signed by the same trust route that signed me. So nobody has to know about a member a priori. You know, you come in, you present your credentials, you belong to the domain, and then you can start saying things. And everything that you say is subjected to the rules. You can say, well, that light bulb just told me the front door to unlock and, you know, I'm going to throw that away because that's not a permissible thing, right? Light bulbs can't tell front doors to unlock. And, um, you know, you're probably aware, right? There are these like famous light bulb hacks where people did use light bulbs to do things they weren't supposed to. Yeah. So So that's, so that's actually something I wanted to ask about. So this, all of this implies, uh, because the, the manufacturer is going to build the thing and at some point trans control of it's going to transfer to someone who's operating it in an administrative domain. So some sort of onboarding would be necessary. Is that in the scope of the work you're doing or out of the scope? It's out of the scope. What we do, what we say in this, in the draft is there's a lot of work in that area, right? So for something, so onboarding in particular, things in the IOT and industrial area, there seems to be a lot of workers work in the IETF. There's this uh, Brusky protocol. There are protocols that people, different manufacturers use. And so that is not something we do. You could think about other ways that you might do this too, right? Like, I mean, you could do a near field communications thing where, you know, you kind of go up and pass that membership in that might work in your house or um, or a QR code that if the device has a camera on it, you can stick a QR code on it and and like like they do with routers now, in-home right, Wi-Fi right. routers type of thing. So I think a lot of that is there's work out there. There are um, a lot of this is application specific, and this isn't an area that needs work, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I I'm trying to solve a problem that isn't getting a lot of attention. And I think what happens is everybody gets stuck in the, well, of course, the way we build a transport is A talks to B, right? And if you're always doing that, you keep getting stuck or, you know, you can try to do some of the things we've been doing with like IP multicast, which, you know, although there are good ideas there, it kind of gets us into trouble because there are a lot of problems there too. So, I mean, what we're kind of doing is working more bottom up, right? So we're going to take advantage of the individual, the the individual domain, the individual broadcast domain. And I do have constructs to connect them. And this is something I've been working on. It's called a relay. And so that you could, for example, you know, something in two completely different places, you might connect them through um, a TCP tunnel or a UDP tunnel, and you know it looks as though it's one domain. So if that's just something that I've been working on, so I think kind of, a, kind of a gateway between domains that allow you to merge the two—not merge, but like an in, like a middle box between two domains—is what you're thinking. I think that's a good way to think of it in in today's terms. And then we have the advantage of you know being able to have our secure transport so we nothing will go through that doesn't follow the rules right so i mean it's uh again and there's a lot of other 
things with the way we've constructed it, which is to try to follow good security ideas and throw things away as early as possible if they don't meet the rules, if they're not signed by the right person. So that outer thing, the thing that has the the, uh, trust domain ID on it, the rule is that that has to be either signed or it has to be encrypted, you know, and have an encryption key in it. But everything inside, all the publications must be signed. They can be signed and encrypted, but they must be signed because how else do you make sure that they're sent by, you know, uh, something where you can check their rules and make sure that they're allowed to send it. So, you know, it would be really great if um, we could have more work done in the, um, the signing area that would come up with faster ways of doing this. And, you know, so these are all things that we well, kind of... Yeah, you're kind of hitting the limits of public-private key cryptography, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. just slow. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's not like secret key cryptography or, or symmetric keys where it's very, very fast to sign something. No, it's very slow to do public key. It's very slow to, to do the factoring and stuff like that. This is where you might hope something like quantum would work, but you're not going to get qubits into these IoT devices either. And so that kind of like is not very useful necessarily. Yeah, but, you know, something could probably be done. So this is now, I'll, you know, so Van has, you know, worked on this some too and is always giving his opinion. And he really feels that there is room out there for people to improve some of these algorithms and it, that it would be really great if NIST would, you know, maybe offer a prize to, you know, somebody to speed this up and in a way that would be also efficient. So it would work well in these devices. So my hope is that in both solving a problem and really kind of opening a door to here's a whole lot of other work that people could do. And I don't want to present myself in any way as a security person, but I feel that the more I learn about this, I'm becoming an informed user of security. I mean, there's so much work that people have done out there and really good ideas. And, you know, they tell us these things like the, the, the name defined trust is coming from this notion of being definite in what you accept as opposed to the internet idea of, you know, being liberal in what you accept. So, right. yeah. So what I'm really trying to do is say, you know, and I think where I started from is, yeah, security was a scary thing, right? Like a lot of us, it's our kind of hilarious security sections and in internet drafts. But when I started thinking like, yeah, the, the, the security sections are like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. there are no security implications. <laughs> or, or, or no new ones. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no new ones. That's it. But, you know, you think about, oh, okay, well, where are, where are we opening ourselves up for problems, you know, is when we go out and talk to third parties. And that's the way a lot of this stuff is done now, right? You go to a certificate authority. Or you go to an attribute server and, you know, we're going out to these things. And then there's some really nice work in the MUD area for IoT. And I think our work is sort of related, but they have to go out and get that information from someone where we're kind of saying, we're going to put this in you securely, you know, and we just call it a bundle, you know, that membership bundle, which is that your signing identity, your 
the, the anchor for the trust anchor for this domain and the rules, and then we're going to give it to you. And once you've got that, we can hand you lots of things securely that are specifically for you because we can use your identity. The Some of the things that the way it's set up right now is that you kind of use that identity to create a signing key um, so that you can make a new one periodically for other security reasons. Again, I'm not a security person, but I try to listen to their good advice. And, and I think that's something that we all need to do, you know, is like, well, how can we use all these really interesting ideas out here? And like I said, we have a, a trust management engine. Well, there's this, you know, roughly 20 year old work in trust management that is really cool. I mean, there's so much that's been done this century that we're not putting into transports. And Okay, so how do we find out, how do we make sure that everyone has the same thing or has what they want? Well, we're using um, different digests, IBLTs. That's another piece of work that's been done within this century. So I think there's a lot that we could exploit out there. And I'd really like to see work. in. so I'm trying to solve a specific problem, but I'd love to see work in general where people say, you know, what if I think about transport as something that is between a collection of entities as opposed to two endpoints? So I, I have a question in this area. If I was to try and, and implement some of these ideas with existing protocols and technologies, for example, if I wanted so I would assume, assuming that there's lots of compute on the IoT devices, which there is not, but with that base false assumption, <laughs> I would do something like run a Linux kernel, set up a control node running a zero MQ or rabbit MQ or something, subscribe to whatever topics I want, and then just logically group it and configure it. I could, and it's not the same thing as what you're talking about, but with the existing bricks that I have, um, so, so I guess, and and each device gets an IP address, obviously, when it comes onto the Wi-Fi or whatever. So, what is so what you're talking about? What improvements are made over that pretty, admittedly Neanderthal system I just described? It's are not TCP, right, Kathleen? It's it's multicast and it's local only, and it's right, and everything has to be signed or encrypted, right? So you which, which you could do using TLS or SSL mm -hmm. if you, you wanted could. to, but it's a lot of heavyweight stuff for a light bulb, right? A light bulb's not right. going to be able to do that. So but, it's IP multicast as the transport. You're you're not changing out the transport. It's you're saying, not IP multi well it's IPv6, not IP multicast that we think of that sits on top of right. IP. It's not PIM, sparse mode, all that other right. stuff. It's just a link local V6 multicast group is basically what you're doing. That's right? what we're sitting on top of. Right. right. Yeah. So okay. I guess, but I also want to back up and say that, you know, a lot of devices are fairly capable. I mean, that's the problem, right? I mean, this is um, the, and of course the older ones aren't, but, you know, we're, it's increasingly changing. I mean, part of the problem is people aren't aware of how much capability is in their light bulb. There are these, um, what is it? Yes, something devices that, you know, you're paying pennies for these devices, but, you know, they've got like enough capability that they can do a lot of this and that they can do damage, which is the reason that we want to restrict yeah. them. 
Right. Uh, I mean, right. I mean, brake systems in cars are a classic example in cans, right? Car area networks, where it used to be if you wanted to build a brake system, you would develop an ASIC. And the ASIC did precisely nothing but manage the brake system. Now, general purpose processors are so cheap. ARMs, you know, whatever. You can buy the, you know, like you can buy Raspberry Pi for like 10 bucks or whatever it is nowadays. And it's a general purpose processor. It's got plenty of power to run the brake system. But now you've put a GPU into a car, a general purpose processor into a car, and you have anybody can get to it and do lots of stuff other than mess with the brake system. And that's kind of scary, right? And the same thing is happening for light bulbs and printers and everything else. And that's another place that I think this could be used. I mean, I think it's more it's more difficult for me to have any actual effect myself is to go in and write something for a car, right? But I can kind of write things and work on it and do examples. And then I can work with um, this company that I'm working with. And, you know, they're out there putting things out there in the world. So that's great, right? I have to pick problems I can attack. But if anybody's interested in it, you know, great, they can pick it up, you know, um, but I and maybe this isn't what they want to do, but we have, I think what you're getting at, Russ, is we've got to do something different once we go to that setup. If you're controlling your brakes with a general purpose processor, yeah. yeah. So I also think it's interesting that, um, are you actually doing this with TCP or not? I mean, it sounds like it's its own transport. Deft is its own transport. So it's not really touching TCP or, or, or quick or anything like that. It's like its own thing. Is that like its own header and everything? Yeah, what we're doing, it's the the setup of it is based on um, name data networking's packets. We're kind of, I guess I would say we're kind of a cousin of NDN, which is a uh, because I started working with that stuff, but then it kind of got to a point where I was kind of like, yeah, no, and kind of went over here because it wasn't going to get me to the problems that I wanted to solve. But there are some definitely cool ideas in there. It's just like all these things that I said have come out in the last 20 years that are extremely cool. And we need to you know, think about how we can take advantage of them. So we use that packet structure, at least the last published one they have. I don't know what we'll do if they change because I mean, they, They've done, they've done, and they're, you know, it's sort of like part of a research project. So they kind of keep changing things, but we don't want to change our packet structure, right? We want to say, this is what we've got and this is what we're working with. And since they already have, you know, numbers from the IETF, it's like, you know, this is why not just use it, right? So, yeah, interesting. Okay. So I don't know. Um, I was just thinking there was something else off the top of my head. So it's not related to Quick. Are you using ideas from Quick as well? But you're not running over UDP either. It's like its own thing. We are running over UDP oh, okay. just because it's much it's easier simple. to use yeah. UDP multicast. You know, over the. So yeah, I think I have a picture in that draft. In fact, that was um, Elliot kind of said to make sure you have a, a picture of the of yeah. I think the very oh, yeah. first figure in it yeah is kind of what it looks like. So we can't currently run over quick and TCP is in progress, but that's really more or less, you know, the real use for that is probably connecting to relays, right? Like that are kind of getting you into 
different domains. Right. Although there is another kind of interesting use that I think of for home IoT, right? Is if you have your phone and you want to be able to talk to your house remotely, you would need something like TCP to get you back there. So, but again, these are things that I'm kind of that are still in the the hazy early stages. I don't want to. I don't want to oversell where we are, but you know, this is a framework. Oh, and I should say there's there's open source code. It's on uh, GitHub and then under my company, P-O-L-L-E-R-E, and it's DCT for Defined Trust Communications Toolkit. And it's, you know, it keeps being updated, but I think the core is pretty much, you know, the way we're going to to keep it. So it's not like you know, if you picked it up and played with it, it would suddenly completely change on you. So. Yeah. But, and there is a synchronization protocol built in here, right? Sync, exactly. CPS, yeah. SyncPS, and that's the part of the transport that is is synchronizing things. And again, like I said, it was using, it's using IBLTs. Okay. And it's, that's something that, you know, one of our challenges there is how do we make this quick and efficient, you know. So I'm doing a little work in that area right now to sort of think about, you know, can I think of this as almost like, is there a particular number I can stick in there, number of flag where you can say, I want to go more in this direction, you know, or that, you know, more chatty or more responsive. So, right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, that you're, you know, it's the old cap theorem stuff, right? You have to choose between cap theorem you have to choose between the database being consistent and, you know, the further you physically partition it and the more network there is between the partitions, the less consistent it's going to be unless you put, you know, put a lot more traffic in there. And so, yeah, you're always trading off this whole state versus optimization game that has to be played with these things. Now, you know, for the average enterprise network engineer, I think this could come in a big deal is the IOT stuff in there, in there. I mean, this IoT stuff is being thrown at network engineers and be like, go manage these light bulbs, go manage these printers. We've been managing printers for years. And like printers are still to this day, a horrible open hole, gaping hole in our networks that are just attacked, taken over, owned. And like they're used for internal DDoS attacks. And it's like, it's crazy how bad that is right now. So this right. is... Th- and they should be limited to, you know, being whatever a printer shouldn't be telling you anything except change my toner or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, in exactly. fact, it shouldn't be, yeah. And it shouldn't even be sending traffic out at a high volume, right? A right. printer should not be consuming the full bandwidth of a hundred gig link. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I the other part of this is I think a lot of this is very amenable to making tools, you know, that you use before you get to to deploying it, that uh, make it really simple for somebody. Like you could make a template kind of thing that says, you know, who can talk to who and you type it in. But like, that's not my thing. I'm not a tool builder. But because everything is kind of regularized, again, I believe, you know, there's sort of an area there that people could manage. And that kind of gets me into the other thing, which I think it could be useful for, which is not so much IoT, but maybe creating, say, like a chat group that you wanted to have 
in a cafe between some colleagues and you wanted it to be completely private, or maybe you want to go to the IETF and sit in the meeting room and there's, you know, four people in this big meeting room that you're all from the same organization or something, but you want to kind of have your private little comments about what's being presented or, or anything, you know. So in that case, or or let's think about first responders, you know, or people who maybe wanted to use their phone you know, as radios. And so we could think about make a group. And again, let's have a simple concept is a chat group, but, you know, you could put any application on it. And now let's think about that membership issue again. And there's all this interesting work, like in digital identities, like W3 has digital identities and verifiable credentials. And that's another thing I think would be kind of cool is to take, if I said, this is the kind of member that I want in this group. And I'm going to ask for their, I'm going to kind of turn their identity and verifiable credentials into this signing chain, you know, because I'm going to put those attributes in the chain. And then I'm going to use that identity to, you know, their public identity to encrypt this membership and send it to them. Uh, So, I mean, I just, you know, this, The way I'm presenting it is kind of clunk, clunk, clunk. But I think people who understand these things and are good at building tools could do something really elegant here, right? And So do you think this could also be a replacement for tried and true, but not very widely used PGP? Because I, you know, people don't, people don't use PGP and I think it's a shame because I mean, all emails should really be encrypted at this point. It's kind of silly that we don't encrypt email at this point. And it's totally a failure of just not being able to find the keys easily and people not wanting to go to the trouble of building the keys and run all the ancillary software. And, and then, you know, well, Microsoft tries to do it on Outlook, but hey, that's proprietary. And that doesn't really work for very many people because then it doesn't work with people running like I do, like on fast mail or Proton or whatever it is. So now like, you know, this is another thing that I think that maybe is a possible use case in this area. That's brilliant. I mean, I haven't thought about it specifically, but, but man, you're singing my song too. The, uh, <laughs> you know, I get these things. And so I did some consulting for a government contractor for several years, and I, I had hired other consultants, and you'd get stuff from them in the open email, and yeah. it oh would have, gosh. they would send, and you know, when I was doing the administrative side, they'd be sending people social security numbers, and I just, I, I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, there's a big misperception about this, too. When I was when I was doing a, a a mortgage application a while a couple of years back, the mortgage company is like, um, "Well, just send us your documentation signed in email in a PDF." And I'm like, "No, I'm not going to do that. Give me a Dropbox, give me a Microsoft OneDrive, give me a Droppoint, an FTP server, something. I'll put it in that, but I'm not putting it in email." And they're like, "Well, our email system is secure." And I'm like, "You don't understand how email works." <laughs> <laughs> I I have encountered that and then these people think you're total crackpot, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. like, no, no. There's another email server between me and you. <laughs> I I totally hear you, but yeah, you know, if we had this digital identity concept where we could be, you know, maybe somehow with the verifiable credentials, again, this is not an end I'm knowledgeable about, then you can always quickly create these um, 
trust domains that are for a specific purpose, right? I mean, you could create something between you and your mortgage lender or, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's really. Okay, well, that's cool. I mean, I think this is all really interesting work. So maybe talk to us a little bit about the future, like beyond just these other use cases. What's the current process look like in the ITF? What's the current process look like in implementation? Are people okay. deploying this? You know, what's going on there? So in the ITF, I think I mentioned that we're going for independent submission because I really just want to get out there. This is our idea. I'm not really sure. You know, I, I have the impression that some people who are working deeply in this area don't understand it very well because you know how when you're really steeped in an area, you read something and you're trying to put it into your context before you understand it. And so I don't really want to fight with anybody. You know, I'm kind of like, I'm old. I just want to get stuff done. So I do want to get it out there because I think it's really interesting. And there are things that people either might want to use this specifically for or say, oh, this inspires me to do something else. So that's why I'm keeping the open source work as up to date as I can. That's why I'm putting this out. And but as as I mentioned to other people, with respect to the ITF, if someone's interested in any piece of this and wants to make it a working group item, I would work with the person who wants to champion it. But I don't want to be the person who, you know, has to, you know, do all the nitpicking to get it through. Right. I feel like right. I've been yeah. there, done that and don't want to do that anymore. I want to get things done. So I think so. It's like I'm not opposed to it at all. You know, I just don't have the cycles for that. So right now, um, I'm doing a lot of work on my own, except that I'm working with this wonderful startup, which they're very forward thinking and they've got lots of projects they're trying to apply it to in the energy area. And so I think they will do the kinds of things that make it more mainstream. But of course, they also have to think about protecting their intellectual property. So I don't know that everything they do will be open. But then again, they're building on um, on the defined trust communication stuff that I'm doing that is open. So I think we're in pretty good shape there. I may try to go for some other funding, but to what I'd really like to do is find a company that's interested in things like identity and so on and has maybe some notion of a product where they wanted to make it possible for people to make their private chats or something and they would work with me the way that I'm working with this other company. I think that would be better than government funding um, because I'd rather not waste a lot of my time on administrative stuff. Yeah. I'd rather. Well, and not only that, but if you found somebody like, I don't know, whoever, some chat company, and I, you know, I could think of a half a dozen off the top of my head and, and maybe there's one actually that's rather small and hasn't gone anywhere and might be interesting to talk to. But anyway, they're at least going to try to deploy the product in the real world. They're not going to like, okay, this is great for squad level communications. And that's where it gets stuck, right? Or fleet yeah. level. And that's where it gets stuck. It actually gets out in the real world and people use it. And not to say that, you know, those aren't real use cases, but I've worked on projects with the military before. And it's like, this is really brilliant stuff I'm working on. It goes into open source. It gets upstreamed. And then nothing happens because no one else in the world sees the value in it. They just say, oh, that's a military application. I don't really care about that. And they don't have enough forethought to like transfer that 
to the real, you know, to larger context in some way. And that's always kind of been a bother to me. But anyway. I mean, I think that's, you know, it's hard and it makes it hard for maybe, you know, us people who like to see things get used, but we're not yeah. really, you know, product type programmers, right? But yeah. but but I'm not also I don't want to have um, you know, just a paper idea, right? That's I'm doing this code, I'm spending time with the debugger and that makes me learn a lot, you know, like, how does this really work? You know, what does it look like? You know, it sounded like a good idea, but. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, oh, good. All right. So Kathleen, um, I will point people at the GitHub because that'll be the easiest in the, in the draft in the show notes, because that'll be the easiest things. If I remember to do it, I'm horrible about remembering, but then, right. um, you know, maybe Tom will remind me or something, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, I don't, you know, keep a big social media profile or anything. Yeah. And I kind of use my company's website more as a place to stick uh, references oh, and pointers yeah. so people can find them, you know. so yeah. That, yeah. Absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. Trust me. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, I did my whole dissertation on social media. And I immediately deleted about half of my social media accounts. And then I... <laughs> <laughs> I got rid of all my social media apps on my phone. I was like, <laughs> once you see the inside of the sausage factory, it really doesn't, it's really, it's really not what you think it is. So <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. Um, yeah. So nothing wrong with that. So that's cool. But people can find you on LinkedIn, I think, correct? If they want to. Yeah, PM they can. Or something. Okay. Yes. I don't keep my uh, listing there real up to date, but I yeah, do get fine. the messaging and stuff like okay. that. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Great. And Tom, how can people get in touch with you if they want to your non-existent blog to start with? Right. It's a fully transparent uh, blog. <laughs> it's, all made, it's all made with You've really reduced your attack surface. Though. Yes, exactly. Yes. Thank you, Kathleen. <laughs> this is an ongoing thing with me and Russ. So you just gave me another uh, another thing to use against him. Uh, so I'm. Uh, you can find me at LinkedIn or on Twitter uh, at Tom Ammon. Awesome. I'm Russ White. You can always find me here at the Hedge on Rule11.tech. You can look me up on LinkedIn. I do. Tw I don't tweet. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I do. I mean, it's kind of this long complex thing. But I really don't log in all that often. So don't PM me on Twitter. Find, find my email address or something like that if you want to get in touch. That's always the better way for me. And if you have, ever have any questions on stuff we've talked about on The Hedge, or you would like to be on The Hedge, or you have a really great guest or a really great topic, please let us know. We're always looking to get new technologies and new ideas out there. And thanks for spending time with us today. We know your intention is really important in this crazy world we live in. So uh, again, thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.